turn in God's Word now to 1 John 3. 1 John 3. We'll read the chapter and our text will be verses 19 through 24, which because of their length and because they're the last verses of the chapter, I will not read a second time. Let's worship God as we read his word in 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things." 
Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Thus far we read God's infallible, inspired word. May he bless these words to our hearts and lives today and in this week of self-examination. Our text is verses 19 through 24, so please keep those open before you as we meditate on them for a few moments. Beloved, it is not virtuous to have doubt about our personal salvation, because in saving us, God not only wants us to believe in Jesus, but He wants us to come to a full assurance that we are in Him that we have salvation, so that we say, I personally am absolutely sure that Jesus paid the price for my sins, that I am a son or daughter of God, that I am truly a disciple of Christ now and will spend eternity in heaven with God and all of His redeemed saints. It is not God's intent in saving us that we continually entertain doubts about our personal salvation, whether we are really saved or whether the faith that God has given us is genuine. This is a spiritual sickness in the life of the child of God that stands in the way of our spiritual growth, of our participation in and usefulness for the kingdom of God's dear Son. If we doubt or spend too much time thinking about ourselves or talking to ourselves or looking at ourselves, we are not spending time looking to God in His Word and as our Savior as He reveals Himself there and as we heard this morning. So doubt is not something to be encouraged in our lives. And our prayer should regularly be that of the father of the boy possessed by a devil who addressed Jesus with these words in Mark 9, verse 24, Lord, I do believe. Help thou my unbelief. In this week of self-examination, we are called to consider ourselves, to consider our sins, and to consider the curse due to us for them and the hell that we deserve because of them. But we are not to stop there and cease our consideration with our sins. But we are to go on from there to consider whether we personally believe and are convicted and are assured that all our sins are forgiven us only for the sake 
of the suffering and death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that instead of letting sin go unpunished, God punished our sins by laying them upon his Son and punishing him with the bitter and shameful death of the cross. And yet, the Apostle John recognizes, and we will be confronted with the reality in this week if we are examining ourselves, that doubt is real. And that on this side of heaven, as we live presently as sons and daughters of God, between the already accomplished reality of the suffering and death of Christ and God's gift to us of the washing of regeneration and renewal, and the not yet of our final deliverance from the possibility of sin and temptation, and the renewing of all things in the new heavens and new earth, as we live now in the present between these two realities, the Apostle John recognizes, the Holy Spirit recognizes, that we are going to struggle with doubt that we are going to wrestle with whether salvation has really come to us. And therefore, we need to hear how the Word of God addresses this in a very pastoral way, in a very sensitive way. The Apostle John addresses the people of God, addresses us as beloved. He doesn't berate his audience for sinning, and doesn't call them unvirtuous because they wrestle with doubt. But he sets before them what God has done, what Christ has accomplished, and what the Spirit is doing within them. And then he calls us to faith in the Son of God and a life of obedience and a life of love in which we who have tasted the love and grace of God toward us Display that to each other. Ours is a beautiful text that reinforces John's purpose in writing this whole book, which is to assure believers. And if you take the time this week, and I would encourage you to do that, to read through this book and count how many times the apostle says to the people of God, we know. These are things we know. These are things we can be assured of. And ask yourself the question, do I know? Am I assured? You see, the people John was writing to were being called to doubt, really. They were being impressed with the fact that they were not as holy as other Christians or others who claimed to be Christians. There was a sect active in the church in those days called the Gnostics who said that unless you came to a higher understanding of truth as they had done, you could have no assurance that you were saved. The Gnostics claimed a higher knowledge and a greater light through their experience, even as they lived very sinful lives. So John says to the believers 
And the Holy Spirit says to us, when your faith is challenged, when accusations are brought against you that cause you to doubt that you have eternal life, this is how you respond. God is greater. And that's the theme for our message tonight. If our heart condemn us, God is greater. Taken from verse 19 of our text. And we consider first the real doubt. Secondly, the biblical answer. And third, the Spirit's testimony. Our text is a beautiful passage because of the repeated descriptions of confidence that it says we as God's people should have because of faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 19, hereby we know that we are of the truth. Verse 20, if our heart condemn us, God is greater. Verse 21, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Verse 22 addresses the spirit in which we pray to God. Whatsoever we ask, pray for, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And verse 24, He that keepeth God's commandments dwelleth in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He, God, abides in us by the Spirit whom He hath given us. So repeated assertions of confidence that we as God's people can have because of faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, at the very beginning, the Apostle addresses the reality that we all still struggle with doubt. Verse 20, if our heart condemn us. And the if there is not a question of if, but a question of when. Verse 20 should be read, For when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. John recognizes that there are going to be seasons of doubt in the life of every one of God's children. There will come a time when our heart condemns us. But he doesn't look at us and say, Shame on you for being weak Christians for struggling with unbelief, for sinning by doubting the Word of God to you. Rather, the Apostle comes alongside of us as a true picture of the Holy Spirit, our Helper, who says, Beloved, And in verses 20 and 21, the Apostle points to the source of our doubt. If our heart condemn us. The heart which condemns us is the source of our doubt. And now we have to ask, what is our heart? What is our heart in this passage? And you understand that our heart is the aspect of ourselves as humans that makes us thinking and creatures who have the ability to choose, rational, moral creatures. Our heart is what distinguishes us from beasts. Our heart is what gives us self-awareness. A beast, a bird, an animal does not have self-awareness. 
We do, and that's because we have a heart, a spiritual aspect. We have a conscience that can distinguish between right and wrong. That is part of our heart that arises out of our heart. And in our hearts, we stand before God. And we have this constant conversation. Am I saved or am I not? Am I a child of God or am I not? Am I saved or am I condemned? Notice that the apostle doesn't say if any person's heart condemns them, but if our heart, the heart of a believer, the heart of a child of God, the heart of someone who is a son or daughter of the Most High, no unbeliever will struggle with doubt. No unbeliever entertains the question, am I saved or am I not? Do I have faith or do I not? No unbeliever considers their sins, the curse due to them for them. No unbeliever considers the faithful promise of God that all sin is forgiven to those who trust in Jesus Christ. No unbeliever is convinced of the calling of God to live in love with one another. This isn't to say that unbelievers are not convicted of, of, of wrong. Their conscience, says Romans 2, does accuse them, or else it excuses them. But they blunt the testimony of their conscience by holding under the truth and testimony of their conscience in unbelief. And they drown it out with pleasure and distraction and work and drink and drugs and sexual activity and otherwise dismiss their conscience from their mind until it is seared and they are hardened. John is talking here about a very different heart, the heart of you and me, the heart of a believer. If our heart condemns us, Now, when he says condemn, we need to understand that there is a wrong and a right way to understand that in this context. There is a condemnation that our heart testifies to us that is correct, and that is when we sin, when we continue in sin for a time, and yet go through the motions of living a religious life before God and others when we persist in unspiritual activity, when we persist for a time in practicing those sins which we read about this morning in Romans chapter 13, as the Apostle Paul calls Christians not to live in rioting and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, that's partying, that's, that's living it up, that's getting drunk and becoming inebriated and shacking up and living in the wanton pleasures of the world. Or, 
when we live in strife and envying, when we live holding a grudge against a member of our family or a fellow member in the church or our neighbor in the community without addressing the issues between us and working through them, confessing our sins against them and asking forgiveness and forgiving them as they confess their sins against us. When, when we commit these sins and our heart comes to us and says, you know that's wrong, even while we sit in church or, like I said, we go through the motions of living a religious life before God and others, we need to listen to that condemnation of our heart because God is telling us something. He's telling us that we are in the wrong, that we need to repent and come to Him in confession of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. That is the right condemnation of our heart. But that is not what the Apostle John is talking about here. The Apostle John is talking here about when our heart unjustly condemns us. When we are living in love toward our neighbor, when we are practicing daily confession and repentance of our sins before God, when we are living the Christian life faithfully, not perfectly, that's never possible in this life, but we are living the Christian life faithfully, and our heart comes to us, or thoughts arise in our minds, unwanted and unbidden, or expressions arise in our hearts like this. You are not only worthy of hell, but you're bound for it. You are not only worthy to be condemned, but you are condemned before God. Satan comes with his question that he asked Eve in the garden. Has God said? Are his promises sure? Can you really trust that God is good when he has done X, Y, or Z in your life or has not done this, that, or the other thing in your life in answer to your prayers. Maybe God really doesn't love you. Maybe all these things truly are against you. And your gray head is going to go down to the grave in grief. Maybe the whole idea of Christianity is fake. These and other thoughts are what the Apostle is talking about when he says, if our heart condemns us. When doubts and fears trouble us. When our faith is infirm. When the devil comes trying to get us to look away from Christ at ourselves our heart condemns us and there are reasons for this the first can be 
when we have a fresh memory of a sin that we've committed or which we have done in the past. When we are overwhelmed by his or her depra- by by when a believer is overwhelmed by his or her depravity inside. And that's why I say in this week of self-examination, the temptation to listen to these kinds of condemnations of our hearts is, 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 is going to be perhaps greater than it usually is. Because we do need to consider our sins and the curse due to us for them. And as we do that, as well as being overwhelmed by a sense of our unworthiness, and perhaps before we are overwhelmed by the glory of God's mercy in punishing our sins in the death of Jesus Christ, we will be attacked by the condemnation of our heart. Overcome by the fresh memory of sin or haunted by the ghosts of sin's past. Forgiven but rising up to hoot that we not only deserve hell but are going there and God truly does stand over against us as our enemy. There's another reason why our heart can condemn us and that is that we do not fully comprehend the entirety of the gospel and the complete work of God in our salvation. That we forget who God is. And this can be because of bad theology. But in our case, as those who have been brought up in the church and who do know our theology, it probably is because of an imbalanced understanding or remembrance of who God is. For example, if in our thinking all the emphasis falls on the righteousness and holiness and justice and wrath and majesty of God so that we do not see Him as a God whose kindness and love has appeared to us, a gracious Father ready to forgive, a a God who is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble and who knows those who trust in Him, then we're going to be terrified by thoughts of God. We're going to be terrorized by who God is. Or on the other hand, if in our thinking all the emphasis is on God as a God of love and forgiveness and acceptance who passes over sin without dealing with it so that I don't need to worry about sin in my life and I have sin in my life that I never deal with, that I never repent of, that too is going to give rise to condemnation from our heart. because it all takes the eye of faith off Jesus Christ and puts it on ourselves and what we think and what we've done. If we maintain our focus on God's Word as we examine ourselves in this week and 
maintain a biblical understanding of God, we are on the road to assurance. We must have a biblical understanding of God, of salvation, of grace, and that salvation is not dependent on our works. And that's where John points us when he gives us the biblical answer to the real doubt that we confront or are confronted by in our lives as God's people. He gives us really a threefold answer to doubt. The first, I'll list them and then we'll unpack each one a bit. The first is in verse 20 God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. And the second and third are in verse 23. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. The first answer, part of the answer, of the biblical answer to real doubt is confidence in God. A renewed sense of who God is. When you're having the conversation with your heart, when your heart is condemning you, when thoughts and expressions that are unwanted but that arise unbidden into your mind trouble you and you become obsessive about them and you compulsively consider them and you entertain the the doubts that the devil is attempting to plant in your heart and you are wrestling with how to respond, this is your response. God is greater. And He knows all things. Our text brings out two attributes, two Virtues or two praises of God that we need to meditate upon when we face condemnation from our heart. God's greatness and His omniscience. God is greater than our hearts. How insignificant am I? How small are you? How tiny is your heart in comparison with the greatness and glory of God. And John says, you're going to trust your heart when it condemns you? God is greater. Listen to the testimony of Scripture. Job 36, verse 26. God is great, and we cannot comprehend the infinity of His greatness. Job 37, verse 5, God thunders marvelously with His voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. Psalm 103, verse 11, As the heaven is high above the earth, so great is God's mercy toward those who fear Him. God is great. And secondly, God knows all things. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows everything, including everything about you and about me. God knows things about us that we don't know about ourselves. Psalm 44, verse 22 says, If we have forgotten the name of our God... And that's a reference to if 
we have become unbalanced in our understanding of who God is, if we have forgotten God as He reveals Himself in the Scriptures or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. Acts 15 verse verse 8 says that God knew the hearts of those who believed in Jesus through the preaching of the apostles and the power of the Holy Ghost by that preaching. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 says, The Lord knows everyone who belongs to Him. And 2 Peter 2 verse 9 says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of trials. God knows all things. He knows your hearts. One of the worldly pieces of advice that we and our young people and our children here today is listen to your heart. Believe in yourself. Trust yourself. Have confidence in yourself. Follow your heart. That is the worldly wisdom that leads to death. Despair and destruction. The Word of God says the heart is deceitful. The human heart can't be trusted. If our heart condemns us, don't don't listen to it. Don't follow it. Look at God, who is greater and knows all things. And there's a beautiful example of this in John 21 which again I would encourage you to read in this week, where the, Jesus restores the Apostle Peter after his grievous sin of denying the Lord the night before he was crucified. And the risen Jesus appears to Peter and other of the apostles on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And after giving them a miraculous catch of fishes and then inviting them to breakfast on the seashore, Jesus addresses Peter personally three times. Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? And Peter, the Bible says, being grieved because Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, says, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. In other words, Lord, it is true that I've done a sin in my life that could cause my love for you to be questioned. But you know as the great, all-knowing one, something that's greater than my heart, something you've planted in my own soul which cannot be taken away. And that is a biblical response to doubt when we are troubled by the condemnation of our heart. When we know that He knows us, we have confidence toward Him. Verse 21, If our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. We have boldness not only to say that we belong to Him, but to come to Him in prayer. 
and to make our needs known to him and to confess our sins to him and make ourselves vulnerable before him knowing that he will not condemn us but receive us as his children in love and in mercy. Have confidence in God. Secondly, a second aspect of our biblical response to doubt is faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. When you doubt, first look to God. Then obey the gospel by believing in Jesus Christ. Notice the apostle here calls faith a commandment. This is his commandment that we should believe. It's very different from how faith is sometimes presented. Faith as a work of man, as as a work of the free will of the human being, independently of the grace of God independently of the work of the Holy Spirit. Faith as the independent work of man who has in his power to believe. But this faith doesn't bring assurance because it's always dependent on the changeable and and fickle will of man. Nor does John call faith here an invitation. This is his invitation that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. But this is his commandment. And in that word, beloved, is hope. Because where the Bible commands something, it also gives us the assurance to pray for it. Because what God commands, he gives in grace to obey. When the command of the gospel comes and we respond to that by believing in Christ and trusting in Christ, there's reason for assurance because God has worked in us this response to the gospel of his Son. This is what John is saying. As you respond to the command to believe, you can know and you can have confidence that God is at work in you. Because the Bible says faith is the gift of God. Acts 13, verse 48. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It, faith, is the gift of God. Acts 18, verse 27 speaks of the Gentiles who believed through grace. Who believed because God gave them the grace of faith to confess his son Jesus Christ. John is saying here in response to the gospel, exercise your faith in Jesus Christ and you have an evidence in that of God's work of grace in you. Remember, it's the believer who wrestles with assurance and doubt, not the unbeliever. God has done a work in you and me 
in all believers, which according to Philippians 1 verse 6, he will perform until the day of Jesus Christ, a work which once begun cannot be reversed. Notice here, to the object of faith, God in his word here does not simply say we should believe in whatever, in ourselves, in another human being, in He says, believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Believe in the person of the Son of God, the divine Savior, who took our skin and bones and came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, who was called Jesus because He will take away His people's sin. who's called Christ because he is the one appointed and anointed by God as our Messiah, as our mediator, as our Savior and Redeemer. We're not to trust in man or in an institution or in a preacher, but in Jesus Christ. When you consider by yourself your sins and the curse due to you for them, do not fail to consider whether you believe the faithful promise of God that all those sins are forgiven for the sake of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. When your heart condemns you, do not ask, When did I believe in the past? How long have I been a believer? But ask this of yourself. Do I believe today in the name of his son, Jesus Christ? Respond today in faith to the gospel and the command of the gospel. Finally, the third aspect of a biblical response to doubt is that we should love one another as he gave us commandment. The end of verse 23. Now, if you read this letter, you will see over and over that this is a theme John repeats. And his point in bringing it up here again as a part of our biblical response to doubt is to emphasize that this is a necessary circumstance a characteristic in our life for us to be to know and to be confident in God of our salvation. It is a companion of faith. That's why it's placed after faith. Because love follows. Our love for one another follows from faith. Now, understand this is not the foundation of our assurance. The basis of our assurance is what John says in verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. That's the foundation of our assurance. That's the source of our salvation. It is not our work of love or faith. But love is an essential characteristic in the life of the child of God who has believed in the name 
of Jesus Christ. And John brings that out in verse 19. When referring back to verses 16 through 18, where he says we must love not only in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, he says in verse 19, by this, by the fact that we see in our life not only a word or tongue love, but deed and truth love for our neighbor, we are assured that we are of the truth and assure our hearts before him. The one who's truly a believer and who understands and believes the gospel himself or herself recognizes that he or she is the object of God's undeserved love and favor. And that the gift of grace in Jesus coming as the propitiation for his or her sins is not something earned, but is something given out of God's kindness and love. And therefore, as John says in verse 16, understands we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And that's why this is a critical part of a biblical response to doubt. And we cannot ignore, in this week of self-examination, the third aspect of self-examination that the Lord's Supper form, we will shortly read, brings out. Whether we intend, in our hearts, to live in true love and peace with our neighbor, as those who know that we belong to God and have forgiveness through Christ. Do you wrestle with doubt? When you do, have confidence in God, believe in Jesus, and love each other. But these things do not create assurance. Where there is no assurance, they avail nothing. Assurance is created by the Holy Spirit. And that's verse 24. By this we know that he abideth in us, by the Spirit which he hath given us. Assurance is the work of the Holy Spirit. When we have confidence toward God to answer our doubts by saying God is greater and he knows all things, by saying I believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and by saying from the heart, not perfectly, but with, but with re- a renewed will and a, and a firm zeal, I love the brethren, that is the work of the Holy Spirit who is given to us, as we heard again this morning. And that Spirit gives us a testimony. The Spirit, says Paul in Romans 8, verse 16, witnesses with our spirit, with our heart, that we are the children of God. So that we cry, Abba, Father. So that we come to God in confidence that He will hear us. 
This is an intimate cry to God, this, this testimony of the Spirit that the Apostle is talking about. It is not something abstract, but it is the cry of a child. It is the cry that we sang of in Psalm 77, of a child of God who is in the darkness of doubt, who wrestles with the doubts and fears that have arisen out of their infirmity, and who yet says at the very beginning, I will direct my prayer to God. And I know that he will make his needs, my needs, his care. Like a child in the night, who a little child who wakes up and is surrounded by the darkness of the night and cries out of that darkness for father or mother. And has the confidence that father or mother, although not present, will come and make the child's needs their care. That's the confidence of the children of God. That's your and my confidence. We know that we are God's children when the Spirit rules and governs our life. And we have an answer to doubt through the Spirit who is given to us. So that if our heart condemn us, we do say, God is greater. And by this I know that He abides in me by the Spirit who He has given me. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, bless thy word to our hearts. Give us grace to answer our doubts with the confidence of biblical wisdom in this week. And give us grace to examine ourselves before thee when we are rightly convicted of sin. Give us grace to repent, to believe in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ bring ourselves under the shadow of his cross and give us the grace too to go forth in confidence and zeal to love as we have been loved. In Jesus' name, amen.